God's word. Therefore, behold, the days are coming when I will punish the images of Babylon. Her whole land shall be put to shame, and all her slain shall fall in the midst of her. Then the heavens and the earth and all that is in them shall sing for joy over Babylon. For the destroyer shall come against them out of the north, declares the Lord. Babylon must fall for the slain of Israel, just as for Babylon have fallen the slain of all the earth. You who have escaped from the sword, go, do not stand still. Remember the Lord from far away and let Jerusalem come into your mind. We are put to shame, for we have heard reproach. Dishonor has covered our face, for foreigners have come into the holy places of the Lord's house. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will execute judgments upon her images, and through all her land the wounded shall groan. Though Babylon should mount up to heaven, and though she should fortify her strong height, yet destroyers would come from me against her, declares the Lord. A voice, a cry from Babylon, the noise of great destruction from the land of the Chaldeans, for the Lord is laying Babylon waste and stilling her mighty voice. Their waves roar like many waters, the noise of their voice is raised, for a destroyer has come upon her, upon Babylon. Her warriors are taken, their bows are broken in pieces, for the Lord God, the, the Lord is a God of recompense. He will surely repay. I will make drunk her officials and her wise men, her governors, her commanders, and her warriors. They shall sleep a perpetual sleep and not wake, declares the king, whose name is the Lord of hosts. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the broad wall of Babylon shall be leveled to the ground, and her high gates shall be burned with fire. The peoples labor for nothing, and the nations weary themselves only for fire. The word that Jeremiah the prophet commanded Sariah, the son of Neriah, son of Mashiach, when he went with Zedekiah, king of Judah, to Babylon in the fourth year of his reign. Sariah was the quartermaster. Jeremiah wrote in a book all the disaster that should come upon Babylon, all these words that are written concerning Babylon. And Jeremiah said to Sariah, when you come to Babylon, see that you read all these words and say, O Lord, you have said concerning this place, that you will cut it off, so that nothing shall dwell in it, neither man nor beast, and it shall be desolate forever. When you finish reading this book, tie a stone to it and cast it in the midst of the Euphrates and say, thus shall Babylon sink to rise no more because of the disaster that I am bringing upon her, and they shall become exhausted Thus far are the words of Jeremiah. Read that far in in God's word. Throughout this book, we've seen the prophet Jeremiah specialize in object lessons. If you remember, uh, chapter 13, God told him to bury a linen belt and then pull it back out again. Chapter 19, to smash a clay pot. Uh, Chapter 32, to buy a field that was in enemy territory. All these signified God's blessing of bringing his people back, restoring them from exile. And this time, Now here at the very end of chapter 51, he told a messenger, Jeremiah told this messenger Sariah to tie a stone to the scroll and throw it into the river. Of course, it would sink with the stone attached. 
And that would show that Babylon must sink, just like the stone must sink, as it's attached to God's decree, God's word. And it illustrates the main point of our passage. If you're looking at your bulletin outline, you'll read this. The final joyous dual verdict from God is that antagonistic Babylon must sink to rise no more, while repentant exiles must rise to sink no more. We'll see in verses 47 to 53, our first point, Babylon must fall while the earth will sing for joy that God remembers Jerusalem. And we'll see from verses 54 to 58, the end of that poem, our second point, Babylon will shriek before the God of recompense while the exiles go free. And our third point in that final statement, verses 59 to 64, Babylon will sink like a rock, never to rise again, while the exiles rise never to sink again. So our study of the book of Jeremiah, we've now come to the last part of the last poem. Verse 47 starts with the ominous formula, Behold, the days are coming. The defeat of Babylon is then described. The defeat of Babylon includes the defeat of her images. If you look at verse 47, her false gods, which were empty and powerless, no one can stand before the living God. The elimination of Babylon also would enable other nations to breathe a sigh of relief. Uh, All were tyrannized by Babylon, the ancient superpower. But more than that, if you read carefully, the whole universe will be joyful. Look at verse 48 with me. The rejoicing, breaking out into singing, is this. Then the heavens and the earth and all that is in them, think about what's in the heavens and think about what's in the earth, all the angels and all the people, shall sing for joy over Babylon. What should be our response to God judging evil? This is surprising, isn't it? A little surprising? Maybe we're a little too genteel in our modern way of thinking. The scripture tells us that all of heaven and all of the earth and all that is in them will sing for joy over the judgment and destruction of Babylon. And the reason for the downfall of Babylon is clear in the next verse, verse 49. Babylon must fall for the slain of Israel. They're the ones that came and killed God's people in Jerusalem and across Israel and Judah. So the correspondence is set up, I think, in a very key verse, verse 49, between what has happened for God's people because of Babylon's attack of Jerusalem and therefore what must now happen to Babylon. You see that correspondence set up? That connection that God is making in verse 49? This isn't over, God is saying to Babylon. In verse 50, once God's judgment begins, now God has a statement for his people trapped in Babylon. Any remaining remnant of God's people who have not been killed by Babylon's sword were told to to leave Babylon, not to stand still. God had given a clear command, if you see it in verse 50, go, do not stand still. What's the basis of the exiles departing there? Remembering the Lord. If you look at verse 50, how in the middle it says, remember the Lord from far away. Where is that? That's the exiles. Remember the Lord there. And let Jerusalem come into your mind. They're supposed to make a connection between the Lord and Jerusalem. Think of the Lord and Jerusalem. The Lord and Jerusalem. And the more you do that, you'll realize he made covenant promises. And he has to respond to what Babylon did, even though he's the one who ordered Babylon to do it. This If you get through that thought process, you're tracking with what Jeremiah is bringing us here. And to remember was more than simply mental recall. It was a summons to take action. Remembering the Lord was the ground for the exiles to then go 
to disengage from the whole Babylonian Empire geographically by actually transporting um, themselves across lands to go back home. Also economically, don't take stuff from there. Politically, they're not to be engaged in maybe an alliance anymore with them. And even emotionally, don't think of yourself as Babylonians. You are my people, God says to them. Alternatively, if the exiles were to forget the Lord and forget Jerusalem, they might even give up on it and then stay in Babylon as if to make a life there. But Babylon's going down as our main rock-dropping illustration tells us so clearly. There's no future in Babylon because the Lord is against it. Similar to Psalm 74 and Psalm 79, both the worshipers and the Lord himself are remembering what the foreigners have done to God's temple. And as verse 51 here reminds us so clearly, foreigners have come into the holy places of the Lord's house. They needed to remember Jerusalem with hope. Hope that God is not finished. He's going to do something else, something new. That hope is exactly what God is giving them here and reminding them of here. Listen to verse 52. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. I will execute judgment. God is reminding the exiles that Babylon's going down, so therefore you're coming up. What, is it? what if it seems like Babylon's still dominant? You receive this scroll. You're in exile. You're reading through this like, oh, that sounds so nice. However, right now, Babylon is still over us. What about the success of Babylon? Bringing back exiles from various countries all over the world. They still seem like they're successful, and it seems like Babylon's false gods are behind all this. It just seems like they've got it all going for them. And God answered that here in verse 53. Though Babylon should mount up to heaven, a reference to the worship structures that Babylon would build, sort of like a staircase on each side going up to a center thing, like, like we would use for an award ceremony, say the Olympics, right? A little platform. But they built them bigger and bigger. And their idea was they would worship there. And they called them ziggurats, these special worship platforms. One such high tower you've probably heard about. It's called the Tower of Babel. I'll remind you, the Hebrew word is Babel. We usually use the Greek word, which is Babylon. The Tower of Babel is the Tower of Babylon. Genesis 11.4, then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top to the heavens. But what do we read here in verse 53? Though Babylon should mount up to heaven, God is saying, I'm sending destroyers. Babylon is not dominant. They can say whatever they want about themselves. They are fooling themselves. They're going to sink. They must sink just like the stone attached to my scroll. We move on to our second point. Babylon will shriek before the God of recompense while the exiles go free. Verse 54, our author hears something before others hear it. Did you hear that? What does he hear? A voice. What's the voice? Who's saying what? It's Babylon shrieking in fear and terror at the sound of being attacked. So we can get by the end of verse 55, the noise of their voice is raised for a destroyer has come upon her, upon Babylon. They're overcome by a judgment that includes a screaming which never ends. 
This is ordered by the God who now refers to himself in verse 56 as a God of recompense. Why would God refer to himself as a God of recompense? Because, as the very next phrase tells us, he will surely repay. I just want to bless you if you listen carefully. This word repay is the Hebrew word shalom. You might be surprised. I know we often oversimplify the word shalom by thinking in English we understand it as simply peace. Shalom, peace to you. It's a little more complicated. It actually means completion or coming full circle. So when we say shalom to someone, what we mean is the positive angle. It's a blessing for your whole life. May it be full circle for you providing peace in all directions and all relationships, a full-orbed peace is often how we describe it. But the same concept can be done in a negative so that it comes as a curse. And full-circle curse provides terror in all directions and havoc in all relationships. God will bring shalom, complete circle, peace to his people, but he will also bring shalom, complete circle justice to his enemies. That's what this verse is saying. The God of recompense is the one who gives people what's coming to them. If you're in his covenant, what's coming to you is restoration, forgiveness, and peace. And if you're not in his covenant and you've been antagonistic to him like Babylon has been, you're going down. That's what this word means. Shalom is the God of recompense. Babylon shrieking, the exiles going free. Shalom. We celebrate on either hand. Verse 57, God will serve each leader a cup of wrath that was fitted for the crimes. Each official, wise man, governor, commander, warrior shall sleep a perpetual sleep and not wake. Each would be rendered intoxicated by God's cup of wrath and become helpless. And the judgment is so severe, sudden, and fatal It reads like a royal formula here, as if the official authorization papers for the attack order had been drawn up in the royal courts of heaven and now announced by the end of verse 57 ends with this phrase, declares the king, whose name is the Lord of hosts, which means he's the Lord of all the armies of heaven. It's our God who takes those who are sleeping and reveals them as being actually dead and takes those who are dead and reveals them as actually sleeping. 1 Thessalonians 4.14, since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. He reveals them as we think of dead, but actually they're still alive. Those opposing God will sleep a perpetual sleep, while God's people will live a perpetual life by order of the king brings us to our third point in the last section. Babylon will sink like a rock, never to rise again, while the exiles rise, never to shrink, sink again. Poetry ends here now with verse 58, about the wall of Babylon. We studied that recently. Remember they had a thick, tall wall all the way around Babylon? Then they had a moat, a kind of man-made river, all around inside of that wall. Then they had a second high, thick wall all around That's their triple protection, remember? But how could they enter and exit the city? There would have to be gates. And that's usually the military weak spot, right? One was the famous Ishtar Gate, 30 feet tall. It was built by conquered peoples 
from the Babylonian wars. They're brought back to Babylon, forced to do slave labor to build walls and gates and all such fortifications. But this verse doesn't begin talking about God coming through that famous gate because God doesn't use the gate. First, verse 58 tells us God will level the entire wall to the ground. See that phrase, to the ground? So that the only part left standing is the very tall gate or so. A few gates, maybe. A gate without a wall, you have to admit, looks rather silly and ineffective, striking terror in the Babylonians themselves, and then as a last symbolic act of dominance, God will light up that high remaining gate standing alone. So put it all together and read back over the ending of this beautiful poem in the words of God himself, verse 58. Thus says the Lord of hosts, The broad wall of Babylon shall be leveled to the ground, and her high gates shall be burned with fire. The people's labor for nothing, and the nations weary themselves only for fire. That's how the poem ends. Verse 59, Jeremiah then assigns care of these words to a scroll of God's words to an official named Sariah. Sariah's job was to take care of the living quarters or lodging when the king traveled, so he had the title quartermaster. And this was time-stamped, as the reference there in verse 59, when Babylon summoned king of Judah to come to Babylon and explain whether or not he had been loyal to them in a recent uprising. But it was Babylon that should be scared, not the king of Judah reporting. Because that servant, that messenger, Sariah, carried with him a scroll of God's words that will happen to Babylon. The words we've just studied. And so verse 60 summarizes by saying, all the disaster that should come upon Babylon, that's written in the scroll Sariah is carrying with him. Which is more powerful? God's word on that scroll? Or the mighty superpower of Babylon? The largest ancient superpower of the ancient world? We'll see. Verse 61, this man Sariah was to go to Babylon and read God's words off the scroll. Reading it symbolized the effectiveness of the word of God being let loose in the city of Babylon itself. Verse 62, God's scroll says the city shall be cut off and become desolate forever. And here you sit with a copy of Jeremiah 50 and 51. And raise your hand if you've ever visited ancient Babylon. What came true? You have the answer. God's word is more powerful than a superpower. Verse 61, as he reads this message, then verse 62, the scroll says the city would cut off. And verses 63 and 64, after the message from God's word was read against Babylon and it had been declared, all that's left is to illustrate it. And this is where we get our object lesson. Verse 63, when you have finished reading this book, Jeremiah says to Sariah, tie a stone to it and cast it in the midst of the Euphrates, which is the river, and thus... And say, thus shall Babylon sink to rise no more. The last symbolic act of Jeremiah through his servant demonstrating Babylon would fall. It reminds us very clearly of how God destroyed another superpower, Egypt, with its pharaoh. Listen carefully and compare for yourself Exodus 15.4. In the famous Song of Moses we read, Pharaoh's chariots... And his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. You think that's a little not quite close enough? Keep listening. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. 
And again, later in that passage, verse 10, they sank like lead in the mighty waters, Exodus 15. It's supposed to remind us of that. God can take care of Egypt. God can take care of Babylon. Next, superpower. He's the king of all. It's so clear. It's so clear that we get it again in Scripture. This symbolic action of the scroll attached to a rock being sunk in the water is repeated in the vision of the Apostle John about Babylon from Revelation chapter 18, verse 21. Listen to this. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, quote, so will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. Revelation 18.21. Friends, this is far bigger than just some ancient superpower having a skirmish with a tiny little country that God seems to like. This is a message to all the nations of all the world and all generations. This, in verse 64, is a statement, thus far the words of Jeremiah is like a much later cry from Jesus that we find in John 19.30 from the cross. It is finished. It sounds just like the very end here where it says these are thus far the words of Jeremiah. God's destruction was finished when Jesus died. His destruction of sin because Jesus bore our sin. God's people were rescued in that. And the sinking of that stone of attached to that scroll was synonymous with the rising of the exiles from the Euphrates, from Babylon to go back home. And the sinking of Jesus unto death was synonymous with us rising from the hold that sin and death had on us to be free and to go home. The punishment of our sins was finished, was complete, had come full circle. There's nothing more that's needed later from God to us for the sins we've done. He completed the judgment on our sins. Jesus took what we had coming. And heaven says to us in the best possible way, Shalom. I have two concluding applications to us. Number one, don't fall in love with the world because we are heaven's exiles temporarily here and we know that evil will not triumph forever. We must not fall in love with the world. It presents itself in a flashy and attractive way, doesn't it? It presents itself in a powerful, discouraging, overwhelming way, doesn't it? But tyrants don't have the last word, whether they're talking about seduction or pride, whether they're talking about greed or aggression, whether they're exhibiting violence or even murder itself, will ultimately be overturned by the living God who can raise the dead. God's will is invincible. Why would we turn to the world? A right-thinking Christian says it makes no sense to turn to the world when we have this God. Paul expresses this core logic when he pleads with Christians living in sin city in Corinth. Wouldn't you say that's more of a reflection of Babylon all over again in Corinth? Yes, it's Babylon all over again in Corinth. And Paul is writing to those who reside there, giving that later group of exiles the way to think about their city that's inherently different from those in their surroundings. Listen to Paul argue with them. Make the logical argument with them in 2 Corinthians 6, starting with verse 14. What fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? 
Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. 2 Corinthians 6, 14-16. Paul's making the same argument that Jeremiah made. God was telling the exiles, go out from among them. He's saying to those in Corinth, go out from among them. Now, of course, we balance this, right? Chapter 29 tells us to bless our city, and chapters 50 and 51 tells us to go out from them, and there's a balance between those two. But the thing that they have in common is this, don't fall in love with the world. And our second application is this, set your mind on heaven. Second last application, set your mind on heaven. Paul also calls us to remember that our citizenship is in heaven, Philippians 3.20. Hebrews 13.14 reminds us, here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Our home is the new Jerusalem in heaven. Even though it's out of sight, it's not out of mind for us. We take the same statement that God said to them in Jeremiah 51 verse 50, remember the Lord from far away. And let Jerusalem, in our case the new Jerusalem, come into your mind. It may look like the church is defeated. It may look like the church is shamed and being shamed. Like we're supposed to adopt the moral ethic of the world or be shamed. But there's victory in the Lord. And there's victory and wisdom in the Lord's timing. It's just like a teeter-totter. Down with Babylon means up with the exiles. We have the same effect of that teeter-totter when we let the heavenly Jerusalem come into our minds, down with the world, up with New Jerusalem. And to rejoice over the downfall of Babylon is the same as to rejoice over the victory of heaven. To praise God for the hope of heaven is the same as to praise God for the justice of damnation. Babylon's ruin is Zion's praise. And I'll prove this to you from another verse. Revelation 18, 19. And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying, Alas, alas, for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. For in a single hour she has been laid waste. Referring to Babylon. And then we get this quote. Listen to this. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets. For God has given judgment for you Against her. Revelation 18, 19, and 20. What that means is that the church on earth and the church in heaven give glory to God and praise to him for his righteousness in both rendering a verdict of some for heaven and some for perdition. We take notice of both. We give thanks to God in both. Let me prove it one more time before we close. One from our verse here and one verse from Isaiah. Listen carefully. Jeremiah 51, verse 48. Then the heavens and the earth and all that is in them shall sing for joy over Babylon. Why are they singing for joy? The destruction of Babylon. But listen to the twin verse. Isaiah 49, 13. Sing for joy, O heavens. Exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. Why? Listen. For the Lord has comforted his people. 
and will have compassion on his afflicted. Take Isaiah 49, 13, match it with Jeremiah 51, 48, and if you have to have two verses on your refrigerator, put those up side by side and think that through. The same heavens that sing over joy over Babylon are the same heavens and earth and inhabitants that sing for joy over God's comfort of his people, over the Lord's compassion for his afflicted ones, just like the exiles of old, stuck there. We're exiles today, stuck here. But God has his promise upon us. A day is coming, he says when he will summon us and say, time to go home. Colossians 3 on with this. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's pray. Father in heaven,